Today begins our final push through the book of Romans. And, you know, we started with Paul telling us in chapter 1, verse 16, that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is salvation for all who believe in Jesus Christ. You know, and I just think, you know, here we are at the, we're concluding a book, and I found myself very emotional this morning thinking about that. I have loved being in the book of Romans. It has been uh, perfectly on time, you know, that uh, we've been in it, like we said, for two years, but I, I really believe the year before, uh, in chapters one through eight, which talked about the gospel and that the gospel is for every person, um, that that prepared us for 2020. And, um, you know, we concluded then, we started up in the fall of 2019 and went into two, uh, 2020 and prepared us for this last portion of Romans because we needed it in the time that it, it came to us, right? As we studied it, we needed the message that it was giving to us to encourage us to continue on in all the things that were going on in our life at the time, you know, pandemic and um, pandemic and the, <laughs> and the pandemic, <laughs> you know, it just seemed to kept coming and it was like a tsunami that wouldn't stop almost, you know, but here we are, you know, final week, final weeks, four weeks. So we, I know Linda said we're in the last five weeks, but we only are studying for four. We have four weeks of study and then the last week um, for us here, we're going to have a time together that we just um, fellowship around food, which is always awesome. And hopefully we'll get to hear from everybody what the Lord's ministered to him, to him, to them, um, this, through this whole time of uh, Romans. But So today, um, I just want to remind us about, just quickly, about uh, Romans 1 through 8 taught us that the gospel was for everyone, for every human, we'll say, right? So that people know that it's for all humans. Um, and that I just, I just think, you know, our creator God created a beautiful bouquet of humans, and the gospel is for all of them. I just think that is a beautiful way to look at that he created all humans, and he created a beautiful bouquet. I also want to encourage you as believers that we need to rise up and live as Paul has encouraged us, exhorted us, and challenged us to do. And some of what he's challenged us to do, we find in Romans 13, 14, which says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. I mean, he's very clear on what he's telling us. Um, and, and then in Romans 14, 7 through 9, he says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That, so we must live for, for the Lord. I mean, he's, he's encouraging us to live for the Lord, but he's also exhorting us and challenging us because sometimes it is a challenge, and there are times that we need to be exhorted to continue on. And then in Romans 12, 18, and this verse really, really spoke to me through this whole um, time in this portion of Romans. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You know, so I think that's really important for us to remember, to be at peace as much as it's possible with us, for us to be at peace with all men so that we can shine Jesus to the world. You know, if we are in upheaval and irritated and attitude-ish all the time, <laughs> 
we're not at peace with all men. We're not going to show that we even have peace. And we need to show that we have hope. Hope in, in the only one who can give us hope, the only one who can give us eternal life, the only one who can save us. And that's what we want to show the world. That's what we want to demonstrate. That's what we want to encourage each other in. So we certainly have studied and walked through the many challenges that this book has thrown out at us. Uh, the truth that has been so beautifully expressed here is also the truth that has been painfully wonderful. I mean, if, if you don't come away from the book of Romans, changed, challenged, exhorted, um, you need to start over. <laughs> because you should come out of the book of Romans changed, challenged, exhorted, and changed, and absolutely changed. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I love the book of Romans. I've read it many times. It's, one, it's probably one of my favorite books uh, in the Bible. And um, this time I really feel like it has done um, magnificent work in my life. So I, if you haven't been changed by it, start again. Start again. So Romans has challenged and exhorted us to examine ourselves from the very core of our beliefs. Uh, but not just for a challenge sake. It's not just a challenge, but for a real uh, transformation in our hearts and our minds that we might be transformed. Our thinking is meant to be transformed to the thinking and heart of Jesus Christ. And that is, that tell, he, he told us that. Paul told us that in uh, Romans 12, 2. And then as chapter 14 pointed out, we as believers can easily get caught up in our own world of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, laws and liberties that can separate us from others in the body of Christ and make salvation in Jesus seem either unattainable or just too much work. But I think as I'm studying this last portion and thinking back to the very beginning, I think that the book of Romans is a book that teaches unity. I mean, it's kind of amazing when you look at the whole thing. You know, yes, it's the book of grace that teaches us about grace, absolutely. But it is a book of unity because uh, we're either united without Christ or we are united with Christ. Yet, we are all, every single person, every human is united, as Romans 3.10 says, which is, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, so you say united, together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. I think that's pretty clear. So we all, every human, is guilty of sin, every single one. Not one of us is righteous. Not one of us can earn our way to God. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. The only difference between a believer and an unbeliever is Jesus Christ himself. Sin united us. But the power, the, like it says in the Greek, I believe it is, the dunamis, which is the dynamite, the dynamite of the cross broke our unity with sin and unites us with the power, the dynamite of the cross of Jesus when we surrendered at the foot. I mean, that is amazing. We are united in Christ because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We were once united in sin, but he blew that out of the water with, with, the, with the cross. So, 
If you take away one thing from the book of Romans, I say take away this. Take away the power of the cross, levels the ground, and unites us in Christ. Everyone, everyone can be united in Christ. We who believe in Jesus are united in him. We're united here. All of us are united because of Jesus. All of you online, we're united because of Jesus. You don't have to be in this room. We're united because of Jesus Christ at work in our lives. So we're united. We who believe in Jesus are united in him. The cross will continue to level the ground, not just for the newly coming to faith, but it levels the ground for the believer as well. I mean, I, there's no hierarchy in Christianity because I speak up here makes me no higher than anybody else. We are level together. We walk hand in hand, side by side. I'm not on some hill and you're down in the valley. Nope, we're together on level ground. So, the cross levels the ground of our hearts. The cross unifies us. It is the great equalizer. And as Pastor Doug said on Sunday morning, the cross is the equalizer in all that all humans need a Savior. We needed a Savior, and we need him still this day. It's the cross that unifies us as believers, all of us, not one group, but all. The world is working very hard to separate people into groups, into different acronyms and ethnicities, but Jesus, he separates us from sin and unites us by the way of the cross. All people, no matter what group you're in, no matter what acronym you, you seem to be belonging to, Jesus, when you surrender to Jesus, we are united in him. And, and um, the awesome thing is, you know, that then we have that power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in us. That is, talk about dynamite. I don't even think there's a word for that power. That, can, that raised him from the dead that works as that work in us. Wow. That just blows my mind completely. His resurrection is at work in all believers, um, who, all who believe in him. His work on the cross is the work of unity with himself and unity with the body of Christ. Galatians 3, 27 through 29, which is also in your packet, says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise that God has given. Still, you know what? We do have differences. We differ, and, and that's not wrong if we differ. It, it actually makes, makes life interesting. If, if we can differ and still be unified in Christ. That, that's the key. The differences don't have to divide us, nor cause us to look down on others. Yet, sadly, many times they do tend to divide us, just as they did back in Paul's day. So this is nothing new. I mean, it's like what Solomon said in his day. There's nothing new under the sun. So it can separate us, but we don't want to allow it to separate us, our differences. When God shows us that something is wrong for us, we should avoid it. But we should not look down on the other Christians who exercise their freedom in those areas. We must guard ourselves, our hearts, and beware of putting people into subgroups, as in us and them. 
Um, they, they do that, you know, they over there do that. We don't do that. Oh, you watch a movie? <laughs> I pray eight hours a day. <laughs> Stop being judgy. I mean, those things aren't even important. Uh, listen to what the teacher's commentary says about this. Um, they say, all such antagonistic divisions are harmful to community. All distort the unity and ministry of Jesus' church. It's his church. This isn't my church. This is Jesus' church. The church has been guilty of the us and them heart against other believing churches for different reasons. Many of the reasons don't even matter at all for your salvation. And they might be like, oh, they only sing hymns over there. Or over there, they only sing those 7-Eleven songs, you know, the seven words, 11 times <laughs> songs. We used to be, they used to, we were guilty of that. I love those songs. I mean, I could just sing one word over and over. I could sing the name of Jesus over and over and over and never get tired of it. But these aren't salvation issues. They're not. If they were, we would have a whole different conversation. But we don't need to judge that. What is, an import, what is important among the different denominations and fellowship is the word. Is the word being taught? Is Jesus their savior? Is he the only way to the Father? Is he the road that we take? Jesus is the only way. He is the truth, the life, and the way. Is the Holy Spirit at work in them? Is God being glorified? I think these are the questions that we need to stop and ask and not say, are they singing hymns or 7-Eleven songs? Or do they, oh, they speak in tongues, but we don't, you know? Oh, they only wear skirts. Or their ears are pierced. Or, oh, there are tattoos in that place. Don't be judgy. They're not a salvation issue. How does Romans teach us to deal with such differences? With the truth of God's word filled with love and grace for others. We are to be Christ-centered and others-minded. Loving Jesus goes hand-in-hand hand with loving others as yourself. What we, what we are not to do in our relationship with other Christians is, is clearly identified in chapter 14. We are not to condemn others of those convictions that differ from ours. We are not to look down on them for being less spiritual than we are. <sighs> ah, if I look down on somebody for being less spiritual than me, I'm so guilty. Because I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a normal, average person that sins. <laughs> But, you know, to put it bluntly, it just go back to don't be judgy. Don't be judgy. If you want to judge something, judge that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and examine yourselves. If Jesus is Lord in our lives, he will convict. If the, he's Jesus is Lord in their lives, other people's lives, he will convict them of their sin. They are responsible to him in their convictions that they live. If they have sinned, Jesus will judge them. You, you be lovey. You be lovey. Even when the Lord impresses upon you to talk to another believer, maybe even about their sin, because sometimes the Lord wants us to help someone. Don't judge them. Be merciful and gracious and filled with the love of God. If you aren't going to pull them out of the fire, 
then don't go until you can because that would not be the heart of God. If you, try to pull, if you don't go to pull them out of the fire and you go to judge them, don't go until you can pull them out of the fire that they're in. So now that we have that all taken care of, <laughs> we are going to continue in our discussion that related to chapter 14. Um, the issue that, that believers on the issues of opinions in chapter 14, but it's going to be kicked up a notch a bit here in chapter 15. So in our first verse is going to just kick that right off real well. And it says, Now who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. I, had, I couldn't even go on past this verse. And I camped here for a very, very long time. And I had to cut it back so that I could actually teach it today. <laughs> but, um, you know, the whole part, the, the, just the last part, not just please ourselves. I believe is the key to what not to do if you want to bear the weaknesses of others. I just want you to remember this portion. I want you to remember those words, not just please ourselves as we work through this verse and the other verses today. The Amplified Version writes that we who are strong in our convictions and faith ought to patiently put up with the weaknesses of those who are not strong and not please ourselves. We would not ever expect, now this, this is, think about this, okay? We would never expect a newborn baby to stand up and walk right after birth. I mean, never. They could barely even hold their heads up. They're still doing those exercises, you know, where you lay your head down and you put it up just to, just to strengthen their neck. So why would we ever expect, why would we expect those who are weak? And which the weak here means those who are young or new in the faith, um, to be strong. Why would we expect them to be strong and mature in the faith? You know, like, like be strong already. We, why would we expect that if there are babies? Newborn babies can't even walk right when they're born. True maturity is not the one who points the finger, but the one who patiently endures with those who are still learning to walk. You know, I didn't expect my babies to act like adults at two months old. I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I don't think anybody does. I didn't expect them to do the things they couldn't do yet. We endure a lot with our babies as they grow. So think about this. We're excited when we have a baby. We are excited when they roll over. Oh, did you see that? They rolled over. That was so exciting. What a great feat. And then we're excited when they get on their knees and they're rocking, you know. Oh, they're going to crawl soon. They're going to crawl soon. We're super excited about that. And then when they eat solids, it's like, nom, 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 nom. Yeah, we're eating with them, right? You know, oh, it is so good. You know, we can't wait. And then when they take their first steps, it's like you want everybody to know and everybody to see it. And, and for me, it was a super, super, really exciting when my kids were potty trained. I mean... <laughs> That, that was like a blessed day when they were potty trained. And, uh, but then even better was when they could put themselves in the, in the car and click their seat belt, you know, get in and out of that. You didn't have to lean over and kill your back to put them in a car seat. That was awesome. But you know what? If we let our babies grow and learn, shouldn't we also be excited for new and younger believers to grow and learn? I mean, we should be. We should be patient with them. 
So why wouldn't we expect them, expect a newer, younger believer? Uh, why, so why should we, why would we expect a new or younger believer to know all that we as more mature believers know? You know, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of you are mature believers here who I'm talking to, you know, um, but there are people that are younger in the faith, and we need to be patient with them. I have to say, I'm thankful that people were, others were patient with me. <laughs> Very thankful. I took a long, long time to mature. Long time. And you know what? I'm thankful that I'm not finished yet. I'm not finished yet. Now, if you think you're finished, you need to start the book of Romans over again. <laughs> Because you are not finished until you're dead and with the Lord. And even then, I think we're still going to be learning and we're going to be in wonder, you know, all the time. But think about this. There's always someone who is more mature than you. How would you want them to treat you? Right? I want them to be patient with me and love me through my growth. I really do. I don't want them to be mad at me or frustrated with me. I want them to love me through it and, and pray with me and hope that I'll grow and mature. So we are to live our lives on behalf of others. The liberties of a mature Christian have many times stumbled and even disillusioned younger believers. I hate to admit it, but I have, I have been guilty of rolling my eyes to others' weaknesses and convictions. Thankfully... I feel like a jerk later when the Lord convicts me of them and makes me right. But the root problem here and that I think is for most of us is that we, um, that we have with the weaknesses and the convictions of others is that that's when we are living to please ourselves. You know, it's all about us. And, you know, a few years back we had a retreat that the theme was it's not about you. You know, and I think we make life about us most of the time. I mean, we are just naturally self-centered. And this is, this is Paul saying, work it out of yourself. Get it out of there. You know, the younger believer is weak um, or has convictions in an area you are strong and don't have convictions over. Um, and because you want your steak and eat it too, I mean, this is what causes them to stumble. You won't go to eat with them or you eat it anyway in front of them with the attitude that they can just get over it and grow up already. That is a self-pleaser. That is somebody who is self-centered. Babies don't have teeth. They cannot eat steak. They will. But this comes down to a heart problem. And Paul's response to this was, then I will never eat meat again if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. That's how much he loved others. And that's what he's challenging us to do in our lives. He's exhorting us in this. Love, grace, and compassion. We will never go wrong with love, grace, and compassion at work in our lives. Those are part of the fruit of the Spirit at work in us. So as I read through the questions for this week, I mean, I have so much to cover on this number one. I mean, on this, just this verse, it's like, man, it just won't stop. You know, it keeps coming. It's a, it's a good thing, though. 
But as I read through the, the questions for this week, question number one on page one, the very first day I had to pause with and think it through. Because there are two words in there. One says liberty and the other one is evidence. And I thought this could be a very strange combination, you know? Um, but it turns out to be a convicting combination. I don't know if you found that, but it was a convicting combination. For me, it came down to what responsibility are you going to take for your liberties? That's basically what I got out of that question. What responsibility am I going to take for my liberties that I have? Because I need to take responsibility for the liberties that I have when it has to, to do with other people. Then I started to think about the liberties that I take in my life. I thought, I really live a pretty dull life. I mean, when it comes down to the liberties I think I might take, it's pretty dull. And they probably wouldn't offend very many people, I really don't think. And you might feel kind of the same way about your life, that's kind of dull. But then I thought, oh, I take liberties in my heart and my mind that could hurt others, like the whole eye-rolling thing, you know? Ugh. You're not going to eat steak? You're just going to have vegetables? I mean, really, come on, you know? But, you know, those liberties that I took with my attitude didn't stop with my eye rolling at times. Sometimes it spilled right out of my mouth. Just, there it goes. You know, it's just the most wonderful thing to have happen to you. And you know what? Once it's out there, I mean, it's like now you hear what you've said, you know? You cannot erase it. You can't push reverse. You can't rewind. It is out there. And you know what? The only thing that can happen after that is forgiveness. That's it. You can only be forgiven. Now, I say this to all of us who are weak or strong. Attitudes that spill out of someone's mouth and need forgiveness from you is your opportunity to grow stronger in your love and grace for others. And that's through your forgiveness that you give them. Now, when you've forgiven someone, I have to mention this because this is what happens. Somebody can say something, you can, oh, yeah, I forgive you. It's no big deal. Then you go home, and it all plays over and over in your head, you know. Um, we have to be on guard when we give forgiveness because the devil wants you to hold on to the things you shouldn't so that bitterness and judgment can fester in you. And then you have a hard heart towards that person. We need to practice. This is our opportunity to practice taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, not by allowing the devil to tempt you to replay the whole interaction in your heart and mind, which will always turn out to be something that it was never meant to be. So take these thoughts captive. Captivate them. Put them in prison. Lock the key. Don't go back to it. We are to be being transformed like Christ by renewing our minds, and this is a continual process. It's not a one-time thing. This is a continual process. We renew our minds. Many times it could be moments in, in the day, moment after moment after moment. We have to build spiritual muscle through prayer, obedience, and the renewing of our minds through the washing of the word, which we're doing here today. We've been washed with the word. We're going to be washed with the word. So I'm asking you this. Are there liberties you take in your heart and mind and attitude that you need to take captive? 
Renew your minds often. The psalmist in Psalm 51 says, Wash me and I will be clean. Cleanse me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God. So we know that it can be done because the word tells us that he can wash us whiter than snow. He can cleanse us and he can give us a new heart. The New Living Translation of this verse says that, the, that who, those who are strong are to be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this, that we must not just please ourselves. Being sensitive to things like this, we are to be considerate of those who, do have, who, who don't have a handle on their weaknesses and those who are just weak. Those who feel free to have a glass of wine, you must be sensitive to those who don't. I mean, it's just being sensitive. It's being loving. It's not saying it's wrong. It's just saying to be sensitive. Sometimes I think that we think because we can handle things, everyone else should be able to handle things. That's just not being sensitive, nor is it being considerate. It's, in truth, it's just being a self-centered jerk, really. I mean, you know, just I'm just going to say it, you know. I, I, you know, because I think about times I, I, I can't even give you an example, but I know there are times because I, I know I've had them, and I've just been a jerk. That is not the heart of God. God wants us to love others and be sensitive to them and consider them first above ourselves. The word over and over and over teaches us that. These verses are a perfect look at how our church theme and the theme that is on every single Bible study that comes out of women's ministry says to be Christ-centered and others-minded. This is a perfect look at what that is and what that, how that is to be walked out. How will others grow? How can we help others grow? If we are insensitive and inconsiderate, only thinking about ourselves before others, they're not going to grow. But Philippians 2.3 says, do, not, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility regard and consider others as more important than yourselves. I mean, I think that's really plain. I don't even think I have to explain that. You know? More important than yourselves. Take your self-importance and get rid of it. We are really not that important. We are to God. But stop thinking of yourself as higher than everybody else. So each of us in verse 2, we just got to verse 2, is to please his neighbors for his good to his edification. So I, I, I had to stop here as well. I say again, you know, here it says to love your neighbor. We heard that back in the previous chapters. It's in the Gospels. It's in the Old Testament. It's all over the place. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the complete opposite of pleasing yourself. It's to please others and to love others. We are to look for ways to help others grow in strength and not condemn others in their weaknesses. We are to do what is good for them. What is pleasing will build them up in their faith and not tear them down. Isn't that what we want to do? Build people up, not tear them down? A strong believer is sensitive to the concerns of others. They have a good understanding of their freedoms. We, when, when to be free, we, we have a good understanding of our freedoms. When the stronger believer, we should. But we, have the, we know when to be free, not to be so free. We know when to be free, not to be so free. That's our freedom, is to make the choice for others first. Um, they realize that the true uh, strong believers, to be sensitive, they realize that the true obedience comes from the heart and conscience of each individual's. When they know a weaker believer needs to stay away from some situation in order to keep their conscience clear, 
The stronger believer gives up their freedom and stays clear with them. We walk it through with them. We don't say, oh, we'll see you later. You stay back there because you can't handle this situation. No, that's just cruel. No, we want to take their hand and walk with them right through it. But whether weak or strong, whether weak or strong, both are still believers and both are still seeking to obey God. We're united. We're both seeking to obey God. So there's a fine line to walk. The stronger person, which should not push the weaker person, uh, um, the weaker one to change his or her ways before he or she is ready. Yet the stronger is not to pander to the scruples of the weaker and allow such scruples to become the rule of the church, says Life Application Commentary. So it's a, it's a fine line that we, we walk as a stronger believer because sometimes we want to just, oh, yeah, okay, that's all right. You know, if you do that, if you, you know, have sex outside of marriage and you're living with your boyfriend. No, no, we want to teach them the word because they need to know because later on they'll say, well, why didn't you tell me, you know? And then they would have every right to ask us that, you know? So, and, and, and we've talked about, you know, fornication before, and, you know, Angela mentioned it first, um, but the Bible did mention it before Angela, so, you know, we won't just say that she was the one who brought it up, but, um, you know, the idea of sex outside of marriage and living together before marriage has worked its way into the church as being okay. And it's been for a long time, long time, you know, and I look at that, I was thinking about that. Where's the breakdown there? The breakdown's with the stronger believer. Because somewhere they allowed this not, not to be taught or applied as a true, the truth of God's word. That we need to apply that in our, in our churches. We need to talk about that. People need to be free, you know, free to live a godly life. The stronger believer is to help the weaker grow in the truth of the word. And as they grow in the truth of the word, they will benefit the church. Isn't that amazing? I love that. So, is what we want to do more important than our sisters and brothers in Christ? Is our wants more important? So are we able to please others? To... You know, are we able to please others? Yes, 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 we are. Because in verse 3 it says, for even Christ did not please himself. I mean, he's our hope. This is our hope that we too can do it. But it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me, fell upon Jesus. Jesus lived his life for the benefit of others, and we are to follow his lead and and live our lives for the benefit of others as well. We are to live Christ-centered, others-minded lives. If we aren't Christ-centered first, we will never be able to be fully others-minded. There are nice people in the world, yes, but they'll never be able to be fully others-minded without being Christ-centered first. We have to stop using what I have heard from different ones over the years. Well, of course it was easy for Jesus to do that. He's God. He's perfect. Of course he's able to please others, and it's so simple for him. But you know what? To me, that's like giving him a slap in the face for what, what he really is to us. The Word tells us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Do I understand it? No. Can I explain it? Not really. <laughs> But it's true because he says it's true. The word says it's true. He is fully man. He, we have a high priest, it says in uh, Hebrews, that understands our sufferings. 
understands where we are. Scripture tells us that Jesus was obedient unto death, to God, unto death. He got hungry like us. His feet ached like us. Goodness, he walked everywhere. We drive our cars. He walked in sandals. We have Nikes. I mean, come on. He walked on rocks. We walk on dirt. You know, it's, his feet ached. He was tempted, tortured, and made fun of. He is our hope of persevering through the, our trials and temptations. He is our hope that we can please other people, that we can be pleasing. We can think of others before ourselves. His life as a man is the hope that encourages us to be able to do what we don't want to do, but are able to do because of his strength that lives in us. For whatever was written in earlier times, verse 4, was written for our instruction so that the, through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, the Old Testament was all that they had in Jesus' time um, to instruct them, um, the people to instruct them. Uh, they didn't have the New Testament, which we have. We are thankfully have that because it explains a lot of everything to make, help us Gentiles understand. Um, but you can be sure of this, that the earlier scriptures were written, were written to instruct us still today. And the New Testament is filled with the Old Testament. I mean, that's what the New Testament is, just the, the Old Testament revealed. So the Life Application Commentary says, The more we know about God, what God has done in years past, the greater we will have our confidence in what he will do in the days ahead. We should read our Bible diligently to increase our trust that God's will is best for us. Paul admonishes strong believers not to please themselves, but to please God and others. Scripture records stories of those who pleased God, those who didn't, and those who failed to, uh, but learned from their mistakes. That's key, learn from our mistakes. We are to endure as Christ endured and as and be encouraged by the example of other believers. This gives us hope as we look toward the future. Now, verse 5, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is like his first conclusion of benediction. He kind of like concludes another, what we'd say, three times? Yeah, another three times. But this is the start. He just wants you to know he is going to finish. And so I feel like I'm in that portion right now for me. I am going to finish. <laughs> but you know what? I need perseverance and encouragement. I do. I need that. I need encouragement just to persevere many times. We will never have the same heart and mind if we don't encourage each other in the race. We're in a race together. We need to encourage each other. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. This must be our goal to have unity in Christ Jesus so that we, as a body of believers in Jesus Christ, may glorify God with one loud, beautiful voice. I mean, when we sang on Sunday morning, was that not glorious? Oh, my goodness. I mean, this up here was glorious but when you sat out there, oh my word, one big, beautiful, glorious voice. A man giving glory to God together. One voice. I love what the teacher's commentary says. We will do this with one heart and mouth. Our mouth will glorify God together. 
Therefore, accept one another just as Christ has also accepted us to the glory of God. Now, we should look to Christ as our model here. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God, we accept other believers to bring praise and honor to God. We accept them. We welcome them. We bring them in. We bring them. We, oh, we welcome you where you are accepted. You know, you're part of our family. How about you come for dinner? Stay overnight. We can talk late into the evening. I mean, we're, we're bringing them into our heart and our lives when we accept other believers. We don't say, no, stay away. We bring them in. We open the front door, and we allow them to walk into the house and not just stand at the door. The most beautiful privilege I have had in my life has been, uh, other than having children, I have to say, um, has been those I've discipled. I've, to watch as uh, so many grow in the Lord has been such a privilege to me and to become such a deep part of my life. And you know what? Many have far surpassed me as a mentor. I mean, I just they can mentor me now. You know, they're but that has been a glorious and wonderful privilege for me is to be a, one who's been able to disciple those women. And they have been a part of my life, you know. And there were times that, you know, there were things we had to wrestle out with the things of the Lord. But the growth that you get to see, what a privilege. But Jesus accepted us right where we were, infants, not able to roll over at all. But over time, with study, teaching, and instruction, we began to walk, and then we began to run. This is a goal as we accept others that we would run together to help them roll over, to help them walk, and ultimately help them run. And all the glory goes to God for that. Don't waste your time condemning others. God does not condemn those that we judge, but he has accepted them. He has brought them in. And I say, let us do the same. Verse 8, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to the glory of God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. Again, I say, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he, shall, he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him shall be gen, the Gentiles' hope. God has not forgotten his promises, not at all. Jesus came to serve those that he loved. There was never an alternate plan, never an alternate plan, no plan B, C, D, all the way to Z. There was one plan, and that was Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came for the Jews and the Gentiles. And you know who the Gentiles are? Everyone who is not a Jew. That's who the Gentiles are. That beautiful bouquet I mentioned earlier, we're all Gentiles together. Not one person is left out. There was always a plan for the Gentiles long before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. This is what these verses are telling us. This is from the Old Testament. It was prophesied that, we, that God had a plan. And you know what? As I was thinking, I was thinking about, um, you know, that you know, Jesus rose from the grave just because we were just in... You know, we just came out of Resurrection Sunday. A uh, thought had popped into my head, and I was thinking about Jesus rising from the dead and, and ascending to heaven. That, you know, Jesus stayed around ministering to the, his disciples and, and over 300 people 
you know, that he ministered to them. He stayed. He didn't just ascend immediately when he rose from the dead. Um, but he could have risen from the dead and ascended immediately, you know, like waving, good luck, hope to see you soon, you know, hope you make it. He didn't do that. He stayed around to give instructions so that they would know what to do and how to minister and how to go out from there and what their calling was. He made sure that they knew. He brought them comfort. He not only instructed them, he brought them comfort. He comforted the 12 and all of those who were their, his witnesses to help them to come to terms with their unbelief, what, what had happened, you know, so that they would be strengthened in the truth and for their future ministries because everyone has a ministry. And I think our, our title is so good for this. Unity, we've seen unity, we've talked about unity, hope, ministry, and truth, all in the book of Romans. So verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope is a fuel for our fire. Hope helps us endure. Hope gives us a purpose for, the, for living a godly life. The part of this verse I really cling to is that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will abound in hope. You know, the word abound is to overflow, brim, burst, bulge, and have great quantity. Me, I am powerless on my own to do anything good, really. On my own, I would grow self-centered every day. I would become more set in my ways. I would definitely be judgy. And hope would completely escape me. But praise be to God Almighty. I have, you have, and we have together that relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can have joy and peace through believing in him. When we believe and grow in our faith, in him hope abounds. Hope overflows. And my favorite synonym for abounds is bulge. Because we don't like that word as women. But hope bulges. And this is the bulge that we want to have grow, right? This is the bulge that we should have grow. That should be huge. We should be so big with hope, so bulgy with hope. I mean, oh, as we believe, hope will bulge by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us. It will, as we continue to walk in our beliefs. This hope will unite us as, it in, as endurance and perseverance encourages us to live together with one heart and one mouth to please God and others. So Paul has asked God to give the believers an attitude of unity, Jews and Gentiles, weak, strong, conservative, liberal, as they seek to follow Christ. And you know what? This prayer is really strikingly similar to the one Jesus prayed for his disciples at the end of the meal of the Passover. He says in John 17, 22 through 23, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You should think about those words. You have loved them even as you have loved me, as God has loved Jesus. 
Unity is not an optional behavior for believers. May our eyes continue to be open as we finish out and run the race to completion in the book of Romans and our ears be able to hear as the Spirit teaches us the glorious things of God. So brothers and sisters, because I know there are guys watching with their wives at home, rejoice, mend your ways, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you, as it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. And may unity, hope, ministry, and truth bulge in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time. Oh, I thank you that you are, you are what unites us, that you are our focus, our purpose, our bullseye, that we are coming together, God. I thank you for teaching us that we need to be unified, Lord, and that we need to have, um, we need to be pleasing to you, but we need to also uh, do what pleases others that can edify them to grow in you, God. Um, may your word uh, do what uh, Psalm 119 tells us, to be a lamp unto our feet and a guide to our path, that we would know the way that you would want us to go and to live, and that we would hear your heart, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, God, as we continue on in the book of Romans. I thank you for today. Bless these women as they go to their groups, Lord. Minister to them. May they be iron that sharpens iron, that when they leave here, they'll be sharper than they were before, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to bulge with your hope in our lives, God. Hope gives us a reason to go on. So we thank you, God. We praise you. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.